That's good, Trent. <laughs> He's got his thumb up. Man is a sinner. He can't save himself. Go ahead, respond to us, Megan. God is merciful. He doesn't want to punish us, but he's also just, and he must punish sin. So how did he resolve that issue? If he doesn't want to punish us, but he must punish sin, he sent his son Jesus. Jesus came both as God and man, God-man. He lived just a normal life like us. If he had not done that, if he had not lived a normal life like the rest of us, how many have ever seen Chosen? Isn't that neat how that, that kind of gives a little liberty to it, but at the same time, it gives an idea that he was a normal person just like you and I. He lived here on this earth, but he lived a perfect life. He came and he died on the cross, rose from the dead to pay the penalty for our sins and purchase a place for us in heaven. I'm glad to know that he is waiting for us up there and he's anxiously on the edge of his seat, I believe, right now. Anxiously on the edge of his seat to hear the Father say, it's time. Go get him. Go get him. So what do we have to do? What do we have to do to accept that gift that he's given to us? We have to have faith. Not head knowledge because we know about Jesus. We know about Abraham Lincoln, George Washington. We never met them. But at the same time, we've never face-to-face -face met Jesus other than in his spirit have learned to know him. But yet, we know him because of his word. Not just temporary faith. We don't have that kind of faith where we believe it's going to take place for right now to get healed or to get better or to make it to, like I took a missions trip to Russia, 15-hour flying. I trusted that plane to get me there. That's temporary faith. It got me there, got me back. Some of you might have been in the military. Same situation. But saving faith is trusting in Jesus Christ alone. Nothing I can do. That's what we went through yesterday. Today we're going to talk about a little something different. And I got my phone out because what I want to do before anything else is they're always telling me you don't take enough pictures. So I'm going to take a picture of you folks. We'll get that out of the way before. Some of you I know, some of you I've just met, some of you I will meet in the future because I believe we're going to have a foundation here to where we're going to reach out amongst these fields and see God do a miraculous work in salvation to a lot of people. Amen. And I thank God for your pastor. I met him on Zoom. I met him on the phone first, texting. You kids would appreciate his texting ability. <laughs> And, and what a heart for God. I mean, he got out and went to, he sent me a list of 31 churches in the area that we were going to open up the opportunity for them to come join us. Kind of a little bit late this time, but hopefully next time we'll have at least five churches that will join us. And we'll do that again probably in the spring, I think we've been talking about. So we're planning, we're planning. And, and Paul, you know if, if, if you plan, you can, you can work a good plan and, and win a good game, right? We got to have a good game to to get the, and, and this man here got on the court. I'm telling you, man, he went to Monticello, he went to uh, Rensselaer, uh, I say that right? Rensselaer, all over the place, knocking on church doors and asking pastors to come join us. But it was a little bit late. But at the same time, that was not, that was not the plan. It, the plan was for the 18 people that were there yesterday. 
The foundation was true. If you have your Bibles this morning, I'm going to be looking at Luke chapter 10. Very familiar passage of Scripture that I want to share a little bit about, maybe in depth a little bit further than maybe you may have heard before. But at the same time, it has some very meaningful things that I believe God laid upon my heart to give to you today. This is a, a time period when Jesus was walking with his disciples, when he was walking with his uh, people that were following after him, people that were maybe potential deacons and trustees, like you're talking about having elections for, men and people that were eager, like the 18 yesterday, to do what God had called them to do through Jesus' direction as their teacher. In Luke chapter 10, we will start out with verse 1, and I will go through verse 1 through 3 first, and then we'll follow after that with a very important portion of Luke 10. But let's pray. Father, we've already asked you now that you would move and minister through this, your vessel. Lord God, the words that I say are not as important as the word that you have given me to share with them from you, the word of God. I pray that you would anoint it as you would anoint it to hearts, that you would anoint it to our ears, that you might uh, manifest, Lord God, a work that is beyond what we could think or ask. I just praise you and thank you, Lord God, that you are here because your word says, if any two agree as touching anything on earth, it shall be done in heaven, and we've prayed together. And if any three agree and are together, you are in the midst of them. I just praise you and thank you, Lord God, that you are here. Minister, touch our hearts. Use us, Lord Jesus. Use us. Speak your voice in Jesus' name. Amen. After the, this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them out two by two. Those of you who were here yesterday, remember what happened with the pastors that went out? They went out two by two. 150 pastors were sent out two by two. And I thought, Lord, you know, that, that's the reason why he laid this message on my heart, you know, two by two. Amazing. He sent them out ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, listen, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask. And there in the King James, this is a new international, but the King James, it says, pray the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out laborers or workers into his harvest field. Now, I look around this church and around this area, and I think there's a lot of you who know a lot about fields and laborers in the fields of service. I am amazed at the windmills that are around here. They pop up like uh, mushrooms, and some people don't like them. It's a new thing. It's absolutely different. But to me, it's exciting in a sense to see the lights that shine in the darkness. Even though they're red, they're red lights shining in the darkness. But still, there's a light shining in the darkness out there whenever you're moving around the area. But you know what it is to be laborers in the field and the harvest. I love this time of year. Harvest time. It speaks to the same thing that's my heartbeat. I listened to, I told your pastor, I listened to a pastor one time preached uh, a, a message, and his whole message, he was going, what do you think that is? A heartbeat. That's the heartbeat of God. Souls, lives that need to change, lives that need to know the hope they can have in knowing Jesus, not as a religious aspect, but as a relationship. 
There's uh, those of you, I, I met Mary and her husband, uh, and they, they've been married, what, 60 years, you said? And there's a relationship. My wife and I have been married for, uh, 48 years. We got, well, the honeymoon's over, I know, but <laughs> not really. Matter of fact, let me just tell you, today is a special day. Today is a special day, and I already texted my wife and called her on the phone because today is the day that was our first uh, date. Our first date was on this day, the 23rd of October, back in 1973, whenever we met at Bible College. This was our first date. Now, January 23rd, after that, October 23rd was the day I asked her to marry me. And then we got married right after that on June 7th. And we had our first child on fi the 5th of June the following year. Excuse me, I apologize. <laughs> so it's still going on. The, the I still take her flowers. I still take her chocolates. You got to continue to be that one that does those things that are special. Because that's very special in that. But at the same time. We also have to be special to our Lord. That every day, we, my wife and I every day say at least once, maybe 1,500 times, not quite that many, but 15 times at least, I love you, I love you. Let me just say every day, you gotta tell the Lord you love him. Let him know, spend some time with him. Don't leave him out in the open. The harvest field is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask or pray the Lord of the harvest. I want to give you, and, and some of you know that I like you to write things down, so if you have a pen and you have a piece of paper or a bulletin, you can write some of these things down that I might be sharing today. Some things are acrostics. I like acrostics, and I came across an acrostic for prayer. It's a very good acrostic that gives us an idea of how we pray. It's backed up by a lot of scripture, and I'm not going to get into all those particular scriptures today, but when Jesus said, pray the Lord of the harvest, there was an aspect of prayer that we have to be considerate of. First of all, your pastor did exactly what I'm talking about right now when he was praying up here. The first thing you do is praise. The P stands for praise. We begin to praise the Lord, give praise reports of what he's done, give praise for how he is to us. As a, as a human being, we need to know that there is someone who loves us more than anyone else, and he certainly does. There's nothing you can do today, or nothing you will do tomorrow, or nothing you've ever done in the past that will change the love that God has for you through his son, Jesus Christ. God's love is extended beyond. It's unconditional. No matter what it is, he loves you, loves you with his whole heart. And no matter who you are or who is out there, God loves them. And we need to also learn to love them. And we're going to see that happen within our life. The second thing is R, repent. Repent. In our life, I want to tell you, yesterday I confessed before everyone that was there, and I'll do it again today. I am not perfect. If you don't believe me, I will give you my wife's phone number. <laughs> I am not perfect. No one is perfect like Jesus was perfect here on earth. And in that same sense, I have got to repent of things that happen in my life. Because as we taught yesterday, sin is things we think, things we say, things we do, and things we don't do that displease and dishonor God. Sin is in our life because we are born into that, but sin is taken away from us as we yield ourselves to God. And I'm getting ahead of myself. Because now A is ask. So after we have praised him, enter into his gates with thanksgiving, 
and into his courts with? Now, now we're able to go into the Holy of Holies. After we have praised the Lord, after we have repented, we can enter into the Holy of Holies that Jesus opened up to it. I thank God for the time when Jesus was on the cross. Listen to me. This is, I'm getting excited now. <laughs> when, when he was on the cross and he died for my sins and all the sins of the world, the veil was rent from the top to the bottom. And when that veil in the old temple was rent, he opened up the Holy of Holies for each of us and all of us to enter into, to pray and have that relationship with the Father through him. Isn't that beautiful? Well, you're not quite as excited as I am or else you'd be getting up out of that chair. I'm telling you. Woo, come on now. Uh, <laughs> ask the Lord of the harvest. And how do we ask? We ask by yielding to his will. Yielding to his will. We don't have all the answers. We talked about this yesterday. Megan, we talked about this yesterday, didn't we? We have not all the answers to understand how God's working. But we have to yield to his will because he knows what? His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. That's what the word of God says, right, Michael? I know some of these people's names. That's the reason why I can call them out because of yesterday. And Dick, by the way, thank you for that song. That was a beautiful song. Whenever we pray, we praise, we repent, then we ask, and then we yield to what God does after that. And you know what? I've seen some great yieldings. I could give you testimony after testimony of things God has done for me and my life, in my wife's life, in our whole marriage. In 48 years, God has done some miraculous things, and I've seen miraculous things done all over places I've been and gone. But you know, God's not finished doing miraculous things. We need to pray the Lord of the harvest that he sends forth laborers, and we can then become part of those laborers. Let's venture down to verse 25, there in Luke chapter 10. You're turning, I hear the leaves rustling. It's amazing. It's an old song that says the move is on when you hear the rustling in the mulberry trees. You remember that one, Scott? I'll teach you that later. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Have you ever been asked that? Or have you ever asked someone if they know how to have eternal life? One of my phrases that I use to go out and break the ice with people is when they ask me, how am I? I say, couldn't be better lest I was in heaven. You want to go? Most of the time their answer is, not right now. <laughs> but I say, I can make sure to let you know that you can get there. If you just give me a little chance, I can tell you how to do that. People are eager to hear about the word of God. Statistics says, and I don't like to go into a lot of statistics and a lot of numbers, but they said more people are open to it, both young and old, than ever before. There's a lot of circumstances that are out there today that scare people. They need peace in their heart. They need peace and hope and we need to be ready to give it to them. This gentleman was a lawyer. There's gonna be several people I'm gonna be talking about, give you a little bit of background of each of them, but lawyers were one to basically be versed in the laws of Moses, the laws of the church, the laws that we are to follow, and like all the rules and regulations that your pastor was talking about that Paul gave in Timothy uh, for, for the men, the leadership of the church, men and women, in that same sense, uh, the lawyer was one who would uh, spend a lot of time in the scripture 
and know exactly what there was to know. In the New Testament, a lawyer was the same as a scribe. He would write down the Word of God. There were specialists in religious law, interpreters and teachers of the laws of Moses. They examined them more difficult and the subtle questions of the law and given opinions a lot of times, these lawyers were. They were highly esteemed because of their knowledge and as a sign of respect, most people stood up when they spoke to lawyers. So this lawyer was respecting Jesus as a great teacher because he stood and asked him the question, how is it that I am able to get eternal life? We look at verse 30, and Jesus is answering him, and he's talking with him and and giving him the answer. A man was going down to Jerusalem, to Jericho, when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now we're gonna look at different ones of these people as we go along, but let me read through the whole scripture first. A priest happened to go, be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. By the way, that's the title of my message, on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, I told you this is a familiar passage of scripture, came where the man was. He came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. King James says he had compassion on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring an oil on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, which basically is two days wages, two days wages. And he handed it to the, to the innkeeper, and he said, give them, uh, look after him. And he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Now, as we look at this story and this situation, Jerusalem and Jericho were the key cities involved in this passage of Scripture. They were approximately 16 miles apart. Jerusalem was about 800 meters higher than Jericho, 240 meters below sea level. So it was a downhill walk that they were going in. The priest is the first person we'll look at on this dangerous road where robbers a lot of times were found and could end up having the same situation as anyone else. But the priest is the one that we're going to talk about first. The priest was one that was generally looking at a middle class. They were higher class sometimes. Some had a great deal of wealth and were considered the aristocracy of the country. On the other hand, some priests were poor. Many priests worked in various trades or as scribes during the majority of the year. And then when they were ministering in the temple, they would have to travel down to the temple because they didn't live in Jerusalem. Statistics say there was probably seven 1,200 different priests that lived in this area at that time, and they were uh, supposed to be there for a five-week period in certain times to actively be involved in what was going on in the temple. Then after that, you had the other gentleman that was coming down the road. They say this road is so that you can actually see ahead. You can see far ahead. You can tell what's going on ahead of you. So it's chances are the Levite who came later already saw the priest and realized as he got there and found this man laying on the ground himself, seeing him right next to him on the other side of the road, he realized the priest had walked on by. 
So the Levite, being a part of the same group of men that worked in the church, they had different responsibilities. While the priests were Levites, not all Levites were priests. So I'll leave that as it is. Levites were not, uh, they didn't do what the priests did, but however they played a role in the temple, they were considered minor clergy of lower rank. They didn't actually do, there was probably about 9,000 or a bit more than 9,000 of the, of the uh, Levites that were there that worked in. They actually kept watch over the outside where the priests go in. They kind of stood guard on the doors. They, they did the cleanup work. They did like Connie and did a lot of the, you know, cleaning up the tables and everything after things done. And they didn't want anybody else to do that. They wanted to do it themselves just like Connie does. It's always good to have those kind of people, servants. God's asking us to be servants. The next person that was there we're going to talk about was the man that really was the emphasis of the story. This is significant, this beaten man, because people in the first century were easily identifiable by the style of clothes they wore or the accent they had. Because there was a lot of different things going on at that time, a lot of different people living in that area, just like we have a lot of different people living in our areas around the United States. Not only different in their nationality, but different in their attitudes, different in their actions, different in who they are or what they think they are or what they believe they are or what they've been told they are. During Jesus' lifetime, the Middle East was ruled by the Romans who spoke Latin, so they were speaking Latin. The region also was Hellenized, meaning heavily influenced by the Greeks, so there was Greek talking there. There were many Greek cities, and Greek uh, was widely spoken. The Jewish scholars spoke Hebrew, so we've got people that are speaking Greek, people that are speaking Latin, people that are speaking Hebrew, and the Jewish peasants and common persons all over the region spoke Aramaic. So we got four different languages, four different individuals that were taking place. So hearing someone speak uh, helped identify these people, but also the clothes that they wore. So looking back now at the beaten man, he, number one, had no way to talk because he was close to death. He wasn't saying anything. The priests went right by on the other side. I don't know whether he was walking down the one side where the beaten man was. I don't know whether they had a line down the middle to say, you walk on this side or you walk on this side. You coming this way or on the right or, no, it's, it's not. It's in England, so you got to be on the left. And so, no, he didn't have all that. But he ended up walking on the other side. Is there ever a time in our life to where we see somebody? and we find ourselves walking on the other side. Not just physically, but we walk on the other side. Because on the other side, we don't have to deal with that person. On the other side, we don't have to acknowledge that person. On the other side, we don't have to be challenged by what God might be speaking to our heart to say, maybe we need to help that person. I know that a lot of times in Evansville, there's a lot of people standing out with a little sign saying they want some help. Well, it's not always money that can help them. We've, we've witnessed to a lot of those as we go out and do that in, in, in Evansville, as I take people out and share, with, share the faith with other people. But at the same time, I know one pastor's wife, she has a little packet, has a toothbrush, toothpaste, and soap, and some other things in it that they, she thinks they probably wouldn't have it. Although most of them have a dog and a cell phone, but anyway. <laughs> There's many ways that we can end up helping people and minister to them on the other side, 
rather than passing by. So the Levite passed by also, not realizing who this person was. The beaten man was lying there and he didn't have any movement whatsoever and he was naked. I don't know about you, but if, if somebody is naked, I'm not sure that I'm going to want to be there and go over and check on him and see how things are going. I could also tell that he probably, and, 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 and then the good Samaritan, the Samaritan went over close to him, that got close to him. He didn't, he didn't just walk by. He came over close to him and looked, and he could tell that he was beaten. I want to emphasize the fact that he was beaten. He was beaten down. There's a lot of people that are out there in our community that have been beaten down with a lot of circumstances and situations. There's a lot of people that have a lot of emotional wounds. There's a lot of people that are in prisons of their own making. Both health prisons, prisons of health issues that they can't get over, they need someone to be there. They need someone to speak to them. They need someone to pour the oil on, someone to help them with a little wine in the sore to allow it to heal. They need someone to offer to them at least an unconditional idea of love that they possibly never knew. Emotionally and mentally bruised, beaten, beaten down to think they can, can't ever get up. They can't ever make it beyond where they are now. And many of them are lying on the side of the road, not to literally, not literally, but figuratively. They are lying on the side of the road waiting for someone to come by, not realizing how deep they are, maybe even to the point of suicide. I know that's serious. I know that's sad. And it breaks my heart to think that there are many people out there like that. And I don't know how to help all of them, but God does. I remember a song that talked about the fact that we are his hands extended. We are his hands extended. We are his eyes that can see. We are his workers that can labor in the field. Seeds are planted. Others water. God gives the increase. We're not asked to do it all individually, but collectively as a body of Christ. Not only can we bring them in and harvest the seeds, Harvest the, 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 the crops, harvest the souls. But then we also have to begin to store it and begin to prepare it for use. And that's what we do. We don't just see them come to Christ. We have to bring them in and disciple them. We have to bring them in and love them. We have to bring them in and help them grow. They are babies. There's no, not a person here today that would have ever taken a child by their choice and had that child and then taken it somewhere and just laid it down and never done anything with it. I don't think there's anyone here this morning like that. I've heard of people that have done that. I've heard of children that have grown up and have had that in their experience and now are in foster homes or certain places like that to where there are people that have done that and it's sad. But there are people out there that are human beings that are adults, that have histories of brokenness and beaten down that are on the other side of the road where we walk. How many of us then would come to the place to where we, like the Samaritan, would walk to the other side, not just kneel down to see whether they were able to talk, not just kneel down and see whether or not they, they could 
possibly move at all or if they were even alive. You see, the priest and the Levite were afraid. They were scared because as a priest, if he came into contact with somebody who was dead, if he was even six feet away from that person and this person was dead, he had to go into cleansing. For a week, he couldn't even do anything. He couldn't even get anything from the temple that provided for his food for him and his family. Same thing for the Levite. But generally speaking, either one of them, if they went there and they raised him up and, and then they died, if, if the person was raised up and they were okay and then they died in their presence, the priest would have to rent his clothes. And after renting his clothes, he didn't have anything on, so he had to go buy some new clothes. So he had, to, had expenses that he had to go into. All of these things go through our mind. What if? What if? What if? What if I do this for this person? What if? I know there was a time in my life, Pastor, when I was at first pastoring in a little town in South Carolina. I had somebody come knock on my door one day. The man said, we've got children, we've got little children, we wanna get, uh, we wanna get uh, uh, formula, diapers, all this kind of thing. Can you spare some money? Well, I gave him some money. I ended up leaving my house after that and I went up to the store close by where they had stopped too. I recognized their car. They came out of the store and there were no diapers. There was no formula. There was a six pack of beer and a carton of cigarettes and some other things that had nothing to do with helping the children. I thought, hmm, that's the last time I'm gonna do that. There's been many times I've seen people that need something, I take them and get them something to eat. I take them and get them what they need. I encourage them that they can have anything. We actually, in that community, we set up as a church, group of churches, different denominations, we set up a, a, a help to where we would send them to that place and then they would take them or have a, a lot of supplies to where they could give them things that they need. There's a lot of things like that to help. But folks, there's nothing more than being able to take care of a person in their spiritual walk before you do anything else. It's great to provide for them. It's great to give them this or that. But you know what they want more than anything else? Down deep inside, down deep inside of their heart, down deep inside of their spirit, down deep inside of them as a human being, they're looking for love. Thank you. They're looking for love. And there's no greater love than the love of Jesus. There's no greater way to encourage them than to share with them what they can have in the fellowship, not just of Jesus himself in everyday life, 24-7, 365 days a year. By the way, it's 365 and a quarter because there's a leap year involved in there. My brother was born on leap year, so I gotta always include that. 365 days a year, God is available. Jesus is available. But how much are we available? How much can we do? 18 people yesterday came together to learn. A little way that we have seen 14 million people two years ago come to know Christ as their personal Savior through the witness of the message that we share the gospel and how we share the gospel. Evangelism Explosion does this all over the world. And in small communities, my call, my call is to Indiana, Illinois, and Kentucky to go to as many churches as I can. And there's many churches, but a lot of people don't want to commit to a little bit of time. The priest went on the other side. The Levite went on the other side. 
The Samaritan, who by the way was the hated one, because they had said that the worshipers should worship in their town, and then the Jewish uh, soldiers came up and destroyed their temple, so they got back and got back at them by coming down and taking body parts and putting them in the Jewish temple. So there was an argumentative situation there that was causing friction between this and the Samaritans were hated and the Jews couldn't spend time with them. They even went four days journey around Samaria just to get to the other side. They didn't want to even be a part of them. You know the story of Jesus who talked to the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. He didn't care about their nationality. Would you stop? Take this. Keep it quiet. I tried to turn it off. I don't know why I was doing it. Jesus said, this is how you can do it. As you look down in there, I will reimburse you, he said in that scripture. Then verse 36, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law, the lawyer said, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, Jesus told him, go and do likewise. What is God saying to Palestine Christian Church and all the churches around the world today? Love the Lord your God with what? All your heart, all your mind, all your strength, and all your soul. And love your neighbor as yourself. Who is your neighbor? Just the person that lives next to you? Everybody is our neighbor. No matter who it is, especially that one that's hurting, they are our neighbor in need. And it's that neighbor that God's calling us to touch. It's that neighbor that God is telling us through Jesus' words today, go and do likewise. We should be the one who had mercy on them. How do we do it? I don't know what your situation is. I don't know the person you're thinking of right now. I don't know what opportunity you may have tomorrow or the next day, sometime this week or next week. I don't know exactly who it is, but you know what? God knows. And when he does, he says to you today, pray ye the Lord of the harvest that he sends forth laborers. And you say, oh God, am I one of the laborers? Can I serve in your service and be one of the ones that walk not on the other side, but on the same side of those that are in need and help them be lifted up? Jesus died on a cross for you. He cared enough for you. He gave an opportunity for you to come to Christ. How much do you have to hate somebody not to share him with somebody else? With Jesus. Jesus needs to be shared. We need to share Christ. Jesus sent him out two by two. I can't imagine what it would be like that if two people went out this week from this, from this congregation and shared the gospel that we shared yesterday with one person. I challenged them yesterday. Those 18 people, I said, what about one a week? We take vitamins one a day, one a week. I mean, come on, one a day, one a week. 
There's a church in North Carolina that, that decided they were going to try to do this, and they're a pretty good-sized church. They got about 500 people that go out on a regular basis and train other people how to do what I trained people to do yesterday. And they said they're going to make sure that they, they do, uh, what was it, one, one a week? One, each person do one a week? And they said if they did that in that church with the number of people that they have going out, they would be able to reach 50,000 people in the city of Asheville, North Carolina. City's only 90,000. That's, that's over half of the amount of people. Do they do it? I don't know. But we're challenged by God's word today to go and do likewise. We're challenged by God's word today to learn the best we know how to do. I want everyone that was in the, in, the, in, the, in the workshop yesterday to stand up just for a minute. Just you, the ones that were in the workshop. I'm not pointing you out. I just want, I need your help. Scott, I especially need your help because you, you, you're back there in the back. So you need to voice it very loud so I can hear you. Heaven is a free gift. He cannot be earned or deserved. Man is a sinner. He cannot save himself. God is merciful. He doesn't want to punish us, but he's also just, and he must punish sin. Jesus is both God and man. He died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins and purchase a place in heaven for us by raising from the dead. I forgot to put that in there. See, it goes the other way, Mike. How do we accept it? We accept it by faith. Faith, not just head knowledge. Good job, Bill. You weren't even there the whole time. You're right with me. Fantastic. Not just head knowledge, not just temporary faith, but trusting in Jesus Christ alone for our eternal life. Alone! That's how we teach kids. You may be seated. God bless you. I'm telling you, God, God is going to do something great here. And I love your pastor. I love your pastor's family. I love you as the family of God. I felt God here in a special way this morning. I feel Jesus really just like the heartbeat of God is right here. Maybe you need to have that as you walk in the service. You know, walk into the church and you hear that and somebody say, what is that? What is that? What is that? It's the heartbeat of God. What is the heartbeat of God? Souls in the fields ready to be harvested. Let me tell you what. I said this yesterday and you guys that are farmers, you didn't hear it if you weren't there yesterday. And that is this. There's absolutely no farmer that would ever plant in a barn. Is there any farmers that would plant in the barn? This is the barn. We got to go out there. We can't rely on this pastor to preach and give the message every time. We've got to go out there and harvest and bring them in here so that in the barn, we can prepare them to go out and harvest some more. See what I'm saying? I'm about to close, but I'm telling you this. Harvest is outside the barn because there's no sun that can get through the barn. In the, the, the roof of the barn. The sun can come in through us, but at the same, that's, that's the S-O-N, the sun, the sun here. You know the analogy I'm trying to bring, okay? We've got to go outside and harvest in the fields. So God is praying. God wants you to pray. I urge you more than anything else, every single one of you, pray the Lord of the harvest that he sends forth laborers and answer if he says it's you. Father, I thank you and praise you, Lord, for today. I thank you for this word that you've given me. I thank you that I had the privilege to be able to share it here at Palestine Christian Church. I thank you, Lord, for Pastor Allen, for Millie, his wife, for the girls, for this family of God that is here. Ready, Lord. Jesus, give us another 
few years, Lord. Give us another few days at least. Give us another little bit of time so that we can go out and reach those who are the beggars, the ones that are burdened down, the ones that are hurting alongside the road. Help us not to walk on the other side, but help us to walk on the side of the hurting so that we can minister to them and touch them. And Show us, Lord. Give us wisdom, guidance, provisions, everything that is necessary, Lord. But more than anything else, increase our capacity of love and compassion. That we might love the lost, love the pre-Christian, love the one that we don't understand, love the one that we can't deal with, love the one that we even sometimes feel like we hate them. Help us, Lord Jesus, to pray for our enemies and, and, and those that despitefully use us. I pray, God, that you would move in our lives, Lord Jesus, move in this church, move in the body of Christ all over the world, Lord, that we might see change for the kingdom of heaven, for the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you, Pastor.